Here we go. Ready? This is Adam Griffin, and I'm here with Adam Hawkins. Hey, Steve Nash fan over here. That's that's great. I love it. You got to do it. You got to do it again and hold it, and hold it together. Okay. I just thought there's no For way. This conversation is so good. Okay. Listening to Culture Matters, a podcast of the Village Church. This is Adam Griffin, and I'm here with Adam Hawkins. Hello. And David Roark. Hello, hello. <laughs> On today's episode, we're going to have a conversation with Ernie Johnson about his new book, about basketball, and about faith and race. We are joined this morning by Ernie Johnson, a sportscaster for Turner Sports and CBS Sports. He's the television voice of MLB on TBS. He hosts NBA for TNT. And you may know this, you may not, but Ernie and his wife, Cheryl, they live in Brazelton, Georgia, and have six children. He's been a Christian since 1997, and Ernie works on a regular basis with the FCA, AIA, and Samaritan's Feet. You may have seen him recently. There was a viral video of him talking about... Uh, the election, his response as a Christian and as a broadcaster. He's also just written a new book, an autobiography called Unscripted, The Unpredictable Moments That Make Life Extraordinary. If you don't know Ernie by name, you'll definitely know him by his voice, or you've probably seen him in a bow tie sitting next to Shaq, Charles Barkley, and Kenny Smith (laughs) before and after NBA games. So welcome to the show, Ernie. How are you today? If I were doing any better, I'd be jealous of myself. It is so good to be on the show with you guys. Thanks. Great. It's so good to have you. Well, let's start with let's start with the book, if that's okay. Tell us a little bit about how the book came about and what it's about. What drove you to write that? Well, um, it's it's one of these things, fellas, where uh, a couple years ago, uh, ESPN, a competing network uh, with with TNT, uh, Jeremy Schaap. Uh, approached our family and said, I'd love to profile your family uh, for one of our E60 programs. And this is very rare, I mean, uh, for another network to want to profile somebody who's on another one. Uh, And my wife and I did not jump in immediately uh, because Jeremy knew of of our story. I mean, it's it's got a lot of layers to it, guys. I mean, it's, it's, um, you know, adoption of four of our six kids. Uh, having a special needs child who's who's got a fatal disease. Uh, it's my own personal battle with cancer. It's my relationship with my with my late father, who I lost in 2011. It's how I came to faith. It's it's all of those things. And and so Cheryl and I decided if the ESPN piece would speak to people on those levels, on uh, whether it's should we adopt? You know, how do you how do you handle a special needs child? Um, how do you deal with you know a doctor telling you yes it's cancer that kind of thing? And we said if that will it'll, if if the piece is going to speak to folks, then let's do it. Yeah. And it, it aired for the first time in 2015, and I still to this day every time somebody sees it, I hear from them on Twitter or on email or texts or whatever. And it's had a profound effect on folks, and so um, I guess the next logical step was to was to write a book about that and get more in depth. That's awesome. And um, and you know I've had friends of mine who have said, "Man, when are you going to write a book?" And it was always to me something like, "Well, 
well, when, when I retire and I'm and I'm sitting around and I and I have no shows to do, then I'll write a book. But but the time just seemed right to do that now and to try to, you know, as I as I say in the introduction to it, I'm just trying to honor my father, uh, oh, my great. earthly father and my heavenly father. Can you tell us a little bit? A lot of people in our church, we're a fairly young church. Uh, a lot of people in our church have either foster and adopted or are considering fostering and adopting. Could you maybe share a little bit of your personal story of what led you and your wife to adopt, and how did your Christian faith play into your desire to adopt those children? You know what? It's, it's an interesting story in that, in that regard, because um, at, at that point in our lives, uh, I'd really kind of been following the script that I had written. You know, I said, uh, you know, here I've got this wonderful wife, and a great job, and we have two kids, uh, Eric and Maggie. Uh, so I've got a boy and a girl, and everything is great. And this is this is around 1990, uh, 91. And I came home from work one day, and my and my wife said, "You know what we need to do?" And I said, uh, "Chicken or fish? You know, you know I'll, I'll eat either." And, and and she said, "You know, it, it, this has nothing to do with dinner, Ernie. I, I think we should go to Romania and adopt a child." Wow. And. Um, she had watched this ABC 2020 uh, story about the conditions in the orphanages in Romania. And a lot of these kids had just been warehoused over there after the fall of the Ceausescu regime. And uh, especially those with uh, disabilities were basically forgotten. And so we said, okay, let's go and, and let's adopt one. And it's not like we had a picture or a description of, of anyone. Um, it wasn't like, go to Romania, this child will be waiting for you, mm-hmm. and, and just fill out the paperwork. And anybody who's gone through the adoption process knows about the, the paperwork on our end and the home studies and that kind of thing. Yeah. And we had told the agency, you know, we, we'd like to adopt a little girl under a year old with no permanent handicaps. Uh, and who, with regular medical attention, we can give her a, a fresh start. Well, my wife, the first orphanage she went to in Romania, she was there. I was home with, with our two kids, Eric and Maggie. And, um, and she called from Bucharest and said, I've been in an orphanage today, and the first child they brought out was a boy who was almost three years old. Wow. So again, here's, we were looking at a girl under a year old. Here's a boy who's almost three years old. And she said he can't walk and he can't talk. He just makes noises. He has a lot of developmental delays. Um, But I just don't know if I can go the rest of my life wondering what happened to that little blonde-haired boy at that Romanian orphanage. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, bring him home. And so she did. That's incredible. Um, and that was and that was uh, a little boy named Borel uh, Mihai Urzachanu, and his last name was just the village where he had been found abandoned in a park. And, wow. and so he's nearly three years old. He'd never been outside. That's unbelievable. And um, and after about you know the first year was a lot of doctor visits, uh, and they corrected. Uh, a lot of like the, the digestive things he had, he had all, all kinds of issues there, and they fixed his foot, which was turned in. And um, but then at the same time, they didn't like the way he was walking, and they did a muscle biopsy, and 
and determined that he had muscular dystrophy, uh, Duchenne muscular dystrophy. Wow. And when you get news like that, then you start doing all the research you can in addition to what the doctors are telling you, and you know that, that it's, there's no cure, right. uh, that the muscles never grow, they just deteriorate, and that a lot of kids don't make it out of their teens. And so we had this, we had this entirely new, unscripted chapter of our lives. Um, and the thing is, she had, when the nurse brought Michael out to Cheryl that first day, she looked at Cheryl and said, do not take, boy is no good. Oh my goodness. And, and so it was, it was just an amazing, it was just an amazing thing to experience at that point. And, and, and here's the thing, guys, and this is, this is where it gets kind of deep when, in, you know, in spiritual terms. Because at that point in our lives, we, we didn't consider ourselves Christians. We weren't going to church. Um, and what it proved to me as, as time went on is that even when I wasn't paying any attention to God, he was paying attention to us. Yeah. Mm. And he had his eye on this little kid in Romania. And he touched Cheryl's heart in such a way that he said, here's the one. Mm. This is the boy you want. And, and on my end of that phone, when I said, this, we'll bring him home, I mean, that was a Holy Spirit thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that was going against everything that I thought as I scripted it. That, that uh, oh no, this, you know, if, if, if he's more than we said we could deal with. But then you forget all about that. And you hear in your wife's voice across the scratchy phone line, half a world away, this, this boy has unlocked the, the recesses of, of Cheryl's heart, and, and only he had that key. Mm. And so, and so we, we adopted Michael, and two years later we went and got a little girl from Paraguay so that we would have two boys and two girls. Mm. Wow. And then years later we would adopt two more mm. uh, out of foster care, half-sisters who were living in Cleveland and had about six homes. They were eight and nine years old and had six homes by that point. And, and now they're 15 and 17. Wow. And uh, so, yeah, it's a, it's a circus around our place, but at least we get in free. <laughs> that's, that's amazing, Ernie. I appreciate you sharing that. And um, it's interesting because, you know, when you first adopted, you know, you said you didn't consider yourself a Christian, but correct me if I'm wrong, when you were diagnosed with cancer, you were in a different life stage at that point. And so when you walked into that situation, that new battle, if you will, um, you, you were a Christian at that time and you were kind of approaching that in faith. Am I correct in saying that? Oh yeah. Oh, without, without question. I mean, uh, the turning point for me personally was December 10th, 1997. Um, Cheryl and I had had this discussion and, you know, here we had, four children at the time, you know, the two biological kids and, and our two adopted kids from Romania and Paraguay. And um, we're saying, you know, we should be, we should probably be giving them some kind of a spiritual foundation, don't you think? And we both agreed on that. And so we found a church, a non-denominational church near our home, and we decided to try it. 
and again, remember, this is for the kids, fellas, okay? This is for the kids. This is not for me. And the first two weeks I'm there, the pastor, Kevin Myers, at, at Crossroads Church, which has since become this mega church called Twelve Stone, where we still go, uh, what he was saying in his message was just kind of piercing me. It was like I, it was like there was nobody else in the church. It was just me. And he's asking questions like, who's the provider in your life? Hmm. Uh, what are you seeking, happiness or wholeness? And I'm like, well, it's easy. I'm the provider, and, I'm, and it's all about happiness. <laughs> and I had them both wrong. And, and after about a month of going to Crossroads, I, I cornered Pastor Kevin after, after a service, and I said, hey, look, you and I need to sit down sometime. God's messing with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, is, he is really messing with me. And, and we went out for lunch and, and uh, found ourselves midway through joining hands, and, and, and I was praying to, to turn my life around and to turn it from a me-centered to a Christ-centered life. And it was, and it was the marking moment of my spiritual walk. Uh, because um, because I know that what transpired that day prepared me for what would come down the road uh, that I had I had decided to surrender this wasn't about me anymore it wasn't about my script it was a much bigger picture of how I fit into what God's got going on and he's only giving us a glimpse and and so yeah so when something comes up like, cancer in 2003 when I was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Again, it was a sit-down with, with PK, as we call him, Pastor Kevin. And I said, you know, right now, Kevin, you know, I feel like punching God in the nose. I said, we've got, you know, we've adopted these two kids. We're trying to do things the right way. We're, we both turned our lives over to Christ and and he said, so what you did back there on December 10th of 97, you decided to trust your life um, with God, with Jesus. And he said, so what does that trust look like right now? He said, is it trust if? Is it trust with a question mark? Is it trust with a comma? I'll trust if this next test comes back the way I want it to. Or is it trust God? Yeah. Period. And that's where we landed the plane. That's and great. that and that has been that has been uh, you can call it my mantra, call it whatever. You can call it the signature at the bottom of all my emails because that's what's always <laughs> down there is trust God dot dot dot. That's period. Great. And and uh, and that's and that is exactly what what got me through that time because because I'm not shaking my fist and saying why me. What yeah. they say in the winner of the Emmy Award for Best Studio Host is Ernie Johnson. Then I'm not going to be shaking like this when the doctor says it is what we thought it was. It's not Hodgkin's yeah. lymphoma, and so it has been. It has been the baseline, the foundation of of my life uh, since that day in 1997. Ernie, um, just hearing you talk about your story, it's it's really profound. Um, it really is. So to think about the fact that you've adopted these kids. And really, like you said, you've done that, um, you know, basically at first, 
thinking you're going to write your own script. Maybe you're just trying to do something because it moves you a little bit, not realizing God's prepared yeah. you for it. Then you face this battle with cancer. I'm, I'm interested in two things. One is um, how did how did the battle with cancer affect your family? Did they see it differently because you had now now you were kind of facing these trials with a strong faith? I'm wondering how that sort of permeated how your family experienced this this bout with cancer. But I'm also interested in how. Um, you know, your public persona. I'm interested in how maybe others around you uh, saw you battle cancer. Did, did, did your faith come up? Did they see you? Did it seem different to them uh, the way that you were facing this trial? Does that make sense? Well, yeah, I, it does. And I think on the family level first, and I think anybody who's listening who's gone through something like this will agree, the cancer doesn't just attack one person. It attacks the whole family. That's good. Because the apprehension and the fear and the anxiety uh, that goes with that, you know, you're you're looking at kids who are saying, "How long is Dad going to be here? How bad is it?" Yeah. And and the first thing I told them, I said, "Look, if you have any questions, come to me. Mm. I don't want you having a kid in your school say, "Oh, your dad has cancer. My uncle had it, and he's and he died." You no. know, and he's and and and. Sure, those things do happen, but there are so many different kinds of cancer and, and, and that kind of thing. And so I was trying to explain all that to them. But I also I went on the air to announce that I had cancer. Yeah. Because because my lymph nodes had swollen up and it was noticeable on the air. Mm. And and I and I said on that pregame show on TNT that night what I was going through, what I had what my plan was for treatment. Um, and I said, and what my family and I are going to do is what we always do, and that's trust God, period. That's good. And so, I, and so, yeah, I mean, it was, I know it was obvious to them that, look, I'm, you know, I'm leaning in on my, on my faith uh, to get through this. And, um, and that's you know, and and that is a that is a bedrock kind of a solid foundation that that doesn't shake you. And there are times. Look, I'll admit it. There are times when when fear and anxiety and uh, and apprehension would come knocking on my door, and sometimes just barge in. You know, right in the middle of a day, suddenly you're kind of gripped by this. And all I would say to those feelings, I said, look, you can. You can come in here for a second, but you're going to have to you're going to have to hang out here with with faith and trust and hope, and they're going to kick you out. Yeah. And that's exactly it's exactly the way I approached it. Ernie, um, man, TNT is either like the best employer or you just don't care because you <laughs> did an interview <laughs> with a competitor, uh, and you're going on on television and and giving um, you know talking about uh, cancer and how the the way you're going to deal with that is through your faith. And, you know, that's not very popular these days. And then even, you know, in light of that, kind of touching on um, last November where you had the, the, the monologue that really went viral and spoke to so many of us, um, you know, uh, just even tr- even showing your trust in God in the midst of what was a really, really um, – man, in some ways, dark and, and, and combative, uh, election process, yeah. you know, it does TNT, like, do you, do you, uh, kind of tell them you're going to say these things or do you just kind of dive in? <laughs> you, you know what, you know what that, the, the thing about our show 
and it's and it's been this way, you know, since Charles and Kenny and and I have been doing it together at Shack for the last five years. But you know, for fifteen, sixteen years, is that we haven't always limited the talk to basketball. If that's there's great. something going on socially that everybody's talking about, we'll go there. You know, whether that's race relations or Ferguson or whatever, and and we will and we will weigh in. And so we knew going into that night. Look, we're everybody in the world is talking about this election. It's kind of expected that you know Charles and the gang they're going to weigh in too. And I actually I sat in my office that day, and I and I said, now you can play it safe, and you can say, yeah, that's boy, what a stunning result that was, and yeah. you know, let's hope it's all okay, and you know that. I said, or you can, or you can really be. You. Be yourself. Yeah. And that's, I said, you know what? I'm going to have to be totally honest here, and I'm going to, uh, and I'm going to just, I didn't script it. I just kind of laid out a few bullet points that I wanted to make. And I actually, and I rarely do this, but uh, Tim Kiley, who's been the coordinating producer of our show for 20 years, I sat him down in my office and I said, this is kind of how I'm going to approach this. And I said, and I am going to talk religion. Hmm. Uh, and I didn't tell him exactly how I was going to phrase anything. <laughs> and he said, go for it. Wow. That's great. We've, we've built up a trust over 20 years of working together. And, and so when I went on the air that night, it was, this is how I process the election. Yeah. And the bottom line is I process everything through the lens of faith. Yeah. My faith is not a slice out of this pie of my life where here's 60% is sportscaster and 30% is this and and then then there's this Sunday slice of of church. This is everything I look everything I look at. And so if I see the world going crazy and 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 looking at this election, I said, look, I I just know that. No matter who's in the Oval Office, I know who's on the throne. Yeah, it's so not, you know, and and guys, it's not like it's not like God had his back turned or was out getting a bagel and turned around and said, "Whoa, who won?" <laughs> you know, yeah. this was, you know, I I I trust that this again this is we get a glimpse of what the big picture is and what goes into making this masterpiece, and and so this has happened. Uh, but again, I was I was going to say, look, if I I'm talking. I'm talking about not liking the choices I was given in the election, voting right in, yeah. uh, being being hopeful that the Trump we saw on the campaign trail would be different from the one we see in the White House, and saying that if I want if I want this place to be better, I've got to look in the mirror. I've got to be a better man. I've got to be a better neighbor. That's I've got to be a fountain and not a drain. And then I said, that since we've talked politics, I'm going to talk religion, too. And yeah. I just said, I follow this guy named Jesus. You may have heard of him. Yeah. And... And what and and what uh, I am taught is unconditional love, and I'm taught to pray for our leaders, and that's what I'm going to do. And and so I I said I'm praying I'm praying for the president. I'm praying that he surrounds himself with the right folks. That's cool. And, and I know you and don't I'm need praying. our and I know you don't need our affirmation, no. but because the vi- video went viral, <laughs> but yeah. I mean it was it was a powerful powerful word. You know, it awesome. spoke to both sides. It was balanced. It was. It just summed up the moment, and 
and it, even as you know, as a Christian, it, it gave me a hope in that moment when it was, as Adam was saying earlier, it was dark and you know it was confusing. And I think you know the reminder that you know our King is on the throne, and you know it's just a reminder of where our hope should be in the midst of a a season that felt very hopeless, and you know still yeah, in some and, ways and, does. And, and, no, you're right, guys, and it was and and if I had come down heavy-handed and and took a Bible out from the set and pounded my fist and said, if you haven't accepted, you know, it, it would have been, you know, I just think I had to, I had to make very clear where I stand as a Christian. Yeah. Well, let me but ask also you. also that I, you know, that I, that I want folks to, I want folks to kind of get together here and, and to, you know, that was, it was, it was a very, it was a very, almost a surreal kind of a thing because yeah. two days later, my wife has got the, got the, uh, the computer open on the on the breakfast table on Saturday morning, <laughs> looking at pictures of the grandkids, and says, "You know what you said the other night about the elections? Got 15 million views on Facebook." <laughs> That's great. <laughs> hey, well, in light of that, let me ask you this, Ernie. So, from the outside in, and really, I was just having this conversation with a group of people that come from diverse backgrounds. We were talking about how our struggle in the church and in a lot of businesses still too is to find how do we find unity in the midst of such division. But it seems like one of the things that our culture has that transcends that division are things like entertainment and sports, which is the world that you get to work in. Have you seen that? Is that just something we see from the outside? Or do you see that in the inside of the NBA, March Madness? Are these things that you see diverse religions, diverse backgrounds, being able to have conversations and find unity around something? Yeah, because in some ways, the fact that TNT let you say that still speaks to the fact that in that world particularly, right. it feels like we still – there's still some space for for everyone for to be able to – Yeah, opinion. exactly. Yeah. You know, and, and one of the things about, you know, I, March Madness, you know, the, and, that we love working with CBS on this, and it's a blast. I've always loved the tournament, and now for seven years being being part of the the, the team that broadcasts this, uh, is that it, that event shrinks the world a little bit, guys. You know, it and it and it brings people together who may not have even spoken before, because suddenly they find themselves at the water cooler talking about South Dakota State, because they have them in their bracket. Yeah. And 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 so and so I think in a, in these days and, and one of the things that, that irks me no end is just the preponderance of people who just sit with their heads buried in their smartphones and never looking up because they're constantly checking Twitter or constantly checking Facebook or constantly texting and there's so little eye to eye contact and face to face dialogue and and so I think that's one of the things that. Uh, that sports does. Sports yeah. does bring people together. Sports has, you know, when you have a rooting interest and you want to talk about your team or talk to somebody else about theirs, it does have that that capability of breaking down barriers sometimes. And I'm not saying it's that the sports is uh, the solution to everything, right. but I think there is there is a chunk of that 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 does bring some people together. That's great. Do you think? Do you see a clear connection between? faith and sports or do you see them um in any way opposing each other have you had to run through that once you became a christian or is there kind of a a sense there that man these things are hand in hand these are good for the christian these are good for me good for our nation like you talked about uh sure i mean i and look the the uh majority of the responses to what i said on election night or two nights after the election i got such positive 
feedback from people. I mean, my Twitter was exploding, and I, you know, I'd, I'd read through 50 out of the 300 that were on there, and then I'd go back to the top of the screen. It says you have 700 new uh, oh tweets, and so and so it was it was nonstop. And and but along with that, it was hey, stick to sports. Hey, we don't need to hear what yeah. your political thing is. We don't need to know about you. And look, I I'm, I get that. Okay, and. And I also know that anytime you mention Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, and Jesus Christ in the same two minutes, people are going to talk. Okay, and, and so, but but again, it was the only way that it was the only way that I could have walked out of that studio comfortably that night, in knowing that I hadn't taken the safe route. I had been totally honest about it. And sure, there were always going to be folks out there who who want the separation. You know, they don't want the guy after the game, who hit the game-winning shot to say that he thanks his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They, you know, they, they say, oh, spare me. I don't. Right. But look, if, unless, you, unless you had your life changed by that man, yeah. um, you, don't know. you may not get it. Yeah. But once you have had your life impacted by that man, then it's, it's hard not to say it. It's hard not to say that this is where my hope comes from. This is where my trust comes from. This is where my faith comes from. It's a gift. It's, I'm nothing special. It's it's been gifted to me, and and so, you know, you have to again. It's you know, I, I wouldn't go on our show on a nightly basis and you know walk in and say, okay, everybody turn to Romans eight. This is where we're going tonight. You know that it's a basketball show. Yeah. But there are times. There are times. Yeah. And, and look, in twenty in twenty eight years at Turner. When I walked out of that studio that night, all I could think of, the words that just came to me were, for such a time as this. That's good. For such a time as this. That's, well, let me, you know, you've been on Turner for 28 years, and, and now for such a time as this, where you were able to, you were given an opportunity, you didn't shy away from it, and That's great. you did it. And so, you know, yeah, some I, of those guys who some of those guys who tweeted said, "Hey, you still got a job." <laughs> That's great. So, so yeah. Ernie, we're we're, we're talking. As, far as I know. <laughs> So we're, we're talking about sports, I feel like, at a high level. And just to try to kind of put this on the ground a little bit more, I even think about the people who are listening to this. And, yeah, no offense to you because I think you're, like, a really big deal being a huge sports fan. But some people are listening and don't know who you are. They don't care about sports. You know, they might just be people in our church or who are listening in from somewhere else. And they're thinking, you know, do sports really matter? <laughs> Aren't they just, you know, a big waste of time? Aren't they a distraction? And this is this is a very difficult, big question I'm asking here. But just I just kind of want to hear from you. How would you encourage Christians to think about sports, to engage with sports in a way that's helpful and healthy? Because I think about even my childhood growing up. I spent a lot of time playing sports, a lot of time, and sometimes I wonder. How much of that time were you good at those sports? Was that like <laughs> a lot of time struggling, practicing? You don't even know about me. That's why I'm wondering. It's an honest know. question. It's an honest question. Baseball is the only thing good I had going for me. Okay, we'll say that. A lot that. of baseball um, time. Yeah, a lot of baseball time, not basketball, though. So I'm thinking, I think back on that, and I wonder, you know, those were very formative years because it consumed our money, our time as a family, you know, the tournaments, the games. And in some ways, I felt, you know, the community that's learned, the, the challenges that you have to grow in, there's so many good things. But then sometimes I see, you know, that can just go off in a whole nother direction. You see families that it just consumes them and it becomes, you know, what we would call an idol 
in some ways where, you know, it, it's become the ultimate thing in people's lives. So what's a perspective here for people just listening? Maybe they don't care about sports or maybe they're on the fringe. How should we think about yeah. and engage with sports as Christians? The way I the way I view it, I mean, and I've said this before, is that sports to me is a is a pleasant distraction from the real world. I mean, there are nights, guys, you don't want to turn on the news anymore because things have gotten so out of whack. Yeah, and so there, and people are looking for well, let me get here's two and a half hours to watch a ball game and kind of get taken away for a minute. But I think where sports can can play a role. Um, and look, I don't want to. I don't want to offend anybody when I say this, but I think I think too many well-meaning Christians think the only way they can make an impact for the kingdom is simply to lead another person to Christ, bang, without knowing a thing about them, mm. yeah. without having any idea what their background is or what you know. It's just like I'm going to meet you on the street and I'm going to say, "Do you know, uh, you know, if you know where you're going when you die." Uh, well, you better do this. And to me, it's a process, and there has to be an investment uh, on your part into the life of that other person. And sometimes sports can be that bridge. That's right. Sometimes, sometimes talking to a, a fellow parent at a Little League game that you're watching your son or daughter play yeah. is a way just to strike up conversation and you just learn about the other person. That's so good. And they learn about you. <clears throat> and then they may say, hey, look, what is it? You know, how, do you, how do you deal with a situation like this? Uh, or how did you get through that? And then the door is open for you to explain where your hope comes from. That's great. And then you have a kind of a dialogue on it. So I, 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 just, I can't stress that enough that I think there has to be an investment in the other person. That you're exactly and not just right. a desire to get another notch on your belt and say, "Hey, I love this guy." Yeah, you're exactly you have right. to have that investment, and and I think that's, I think that's again was where where sports, you know, as as insignificant as it may seem in the big picture, can be a bridge yeah. and can open a door that's to awesome. that kind of a relationship. Well, Ernie, I want to close out here in a second by telling people where they can see you and where they can get your book. But two really quick questions on our way out as we conclude. Really quick, these are more fun than maybe the heavy stuff we've got into. But tell me, what is it like? Is it as much fun working with Shaq, Charles, and Kenny as it looks like when we're watching? Is that just an absolute blast going to work every day? It, it, it's twice as much fun as, as it appears. <laughs> yeah, and, right? and, and, and what makes it fun is because our show is unscripted. Our show is spontaneous. It's freewheeling. You know, it's like, it's like four guys in a living room watching a game. It, Nobody's that's what it looks like. Nobody's asking permission to talk. Yeah. Nobody's planning during a commercial to say, hey, when we come back, you say this, then I'll say this. <laughs> you laugh about that, and you say this. You know, a lot of times whoever's talking the loudest gets heard. <laughs> yeah, and, and, so, uh, and so that's that's what makes it fun. And then, you know, you sit next to Shaq long enough, and he's and Shaq is all about, you know, getting YouTube hits. Shaq, is, <laughs> Shaq, has, got some, Shaq has got some music going on his on his phone, and then he's singing a song, and he says, Ernie, sing this song with me. We'll get like two billion YouTube hits. And, I, and, 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 and so, no, it is, it, it is a blast each and every time we're together. Yeah, okay, and and you have your work cut out for you because that is a crew that is, it, it would seem, is very difficult to, to get wrangle together. In. Yeah, to wrangle in <laughs> and, and get to focus. Yeah, well, some, sometimes you want to wrangle them in and sometimes you want to let them go. Yeah. It really is all feel because sometimes those guys 
that in on a tangent, and you don't want it to stop because it's, mm-hmm. because it's just hilarious. And if you're laughing at home, believe me, we're laughing here, too, because, you know, a lot of times, if you don't know what's going to happen next, neither do I. And, and that's, that's what makes it fun. That's great. Well, you know that David here is a Dallas Mavericks homer, and he is really still hoping for the Mavericks to win the championship. It's not going to happen. Year. There's no chance. But now. Th- th- I mean, there's a slight, ch- there's a statistical chance. If they maybe. win every game and <laughs> the other teams above them, Portland and Denver, lose every game, basically well, that's, that's a, the only I call chance. That a chance. No, no chance. <laughs> uh, so who do you Ernie, who do you have winning the NBA championship this year? I, I still got Golden State winning the whole thing. That's great. Um, mm. And I think when, when they get when they get Kevin Durant back, I think you know. There will be a little adjustment to getting him back in there, but they played most of the year with him and know what they like to do. And, and I think it's still a really tall order for anybody to beat that team four times in a series. Yep. Yeah, do, you have a, do you have a dark horse at all? Like what would you know a team that maybe no one's expecting that could just well, like the Mavericks? Don't do that to me. You know what? I, I, I would, you know, I, Houston, Houston might be able to just because they, they score so many points, though they don't really try to stop you. <laughs> Utah has had a really good year, uh, and they play great defense. But I don't think they score enough. But um, I think it'll be it'll be Golden State in the West, and and I still think Cleveland in the East. Though Washington and Boston have really yeah. gained ground there, so um, yeah, we'll we'll see how that how that turns out. But I'll I'll, I'll say Golden State's uh, got the got the Larry O'Brien Trophy. That's awesome, Ernie. Thank you so much for your time today. Ernie's new book, Unscripted, is out now, and he's coming to Dallas. Ernie, tell them, tell our people where yes. they can see you. Yes. I'm going to be uh, at uh, the North Dallas Barnes & Noble, the uh, Lincoln Park store at 7700 West Northwest Highway, and that'll be on uh, Thursday, April 6th, 7 o'clock Central Time, which would be local time um, for all of you who... That's just some stupid sounding. Anyway, seven o'clock. Uh, it's okay. It's unscripted. Seven o'clock, man. On, seven, o'clock, yeah, seven o'clock on Thursday in Dallas, April April the sixth. Awesome, Ernie. Thank you so much for your time today. We so appreciate it, and thanks for standing up for your faith, even uh, being bold where maybe it's more difficult. Thank you for your time, guys. It's been a blast. Thank you so much. You got to have yeah. a great day. anything you heard on today's show that you would like to know more about check out more details on tvcresources.net on our next episode we're going to have nt Wright, and we'll be discussing the resurrection culture and our future hope we'll see you next time god bless